This is Unaided, the brand building podcast brought to you by Leakside, a team snap company. Get ready to learn about brand marketing strategy from the experts. Here's your host, Evan Brandoff. Hello, and welcome to the Wingrin Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brandoff. Today, we welcome Chuck Emerson to the show. Chuck is the CEO of Asian Box, a delicious Vietnamese QSR in California. Chuck has a plethora of experience and knowledge in running successful organizations and building amazing brands. Let's get into it. Hello, Chuck. How are you? Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Good. Thanks for having me, Evan. Appreciate it. Yeah, we are excited to chat with you. Where are you calling in from today? I'm in Gilroy, California today. Nice weather? Beautiful weather. Sunny and nice. Here in Philly, it's so it's November 19th that we're recording and it's 45 degrees out and quickly becoming winter. <laughs> we don't experience those seasons out here. Might rain a couple of times over the next month or two, but that's about it. That is a good life. So Chuck, for our friends that are listening that are not familiar with Asian Box, which I love the t-shirt, by the way, can you tell us a little bit more about Asian Box? Yeah. I mean, Asian Box is fast casual Vietnamese restaurant with, you know, it was founded 10 years ago now. I mean, we're coming up on 10 years this March. And Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, the founders, one of the founders, Grace Nguyen was Vietnamese and she created all the recipes from her, you know, family recipes. And basically Frank and Chad, the other two founders just had this vision that, you know, there's kind of a hole in the market in the States with, you know, Vietnamese street food, you know, and it came from the street carts of Vietnam was their inspiration. And they took that idea and turned it into the first restaurant in Palo Alto. And it's, it's driven on build your own, you know, so you can kind of create your own box, however you want it. You know, there's like 275,000 combinations you can make. Wow. You know, it's high quality, you know, local, you know, ingredients when it can be sourced that way. And, uh, you know, definitely we feel, you know, we're a step above your, your normal, you know, Asian type restaurant and, you know, Vietnamese is unique. And we've added curry for the last few years with the, you know, heavy emphasis on the curry. So we kind of got out of Vietnam a little bit, but we're in Southeast Asia still as far as the flavors. What's your favorite combination? I'm pretty boring. I do just the noodles with chicken, a couple of toppers, you know, peanuts and herbs and stuff. And then I mix the sriracha and the peanut sauce, which, you know, a lot of people don't know, you know, you can mix and match however you want. You come in and part of that is mixing the sauces. So it kind of makes, you know, unique flavors. Chuck, I love the fact that one of the co-founders of Asian Box is the brains and the creator of the food, the culinary experience. If she came over and cooked you your favorite box, how similar would it be herself cooking for you versus what you get in an Asian Box store? Yeah, I'd say it's pretty similar. I mean, the recipes are are spot on to what she does around the house. You know, I've been been over to their house to eat several times. I mean, I like I mentioned earlier, I'm a little picky, so she'd probably have to make some modifications to get it exactly how I order it as opposed to what she would just want to make, but she's important <laughs> about that. I noticed and love on the Asian Box website, on the home screen, there is both a prompt where Asian Box will match a box for every box donated and also the, the opportunity to fundraise at a box. So, I mean, clearly giving back is, is a key part of your company's culture. 
What was the origination of, of that being a core part of your culture? Well, the fundraising part's always been there. For years, we gave part of our catering revenue to different organizations. And, and we plan on, that's part of our future plans as well. We, we took a little pause during the pandemic and that particular thing. But fundraising with schools and clubs and sports, we've always done. It's a standing you know, opportunity that we have in all the stores with the community. And then the specific one where we match that came from the pandemic. You know, we saw a lot of, you know, these frontline workers, I mean, giving it their all and really making sacrifices. And we have a couple of stores near, you know, hospitals and, and our, you know, one of our biggest accounts is Kaiser and certainly Stanford, all, all part of Stanford, including the hospital. So, you know, we really wanted to try to give back. So we did a whole giveaway just on our own, you know, to say thank you. And then we realized that, you know, people wanted to be part of that. So we set up that where you can go on there and buy, you know, as little as two boxes, as many as 10, and you get them at a discounted price. And then we'll match that. So if you buy five boxes for, you know, fire department down the street, we'll deliver 10 or, you know, defer five to somewhere else if, if they only need five. So, you know, so that's kind of our piece. We're working on fine tuning that and kind of making it easier you know, to do going forward here in the near future where we're updating that part of our website. So it's a little clunky. We're trying to make it as easy as possible. That's awesome. I love that. Everyone should be giving back. All companies should be giving back. I'm curious, in addition to just doing good in the community, is, is there a business case behind doing fundraisers like this? You know, I don't necessarily know off the top of my head, that you know, the answer to that question. I mean, I think everywhere I've ever worked, it's been part of the culture. And I think it's more about that. You know, certainly it's hard to put an ROI if that's kind of what, what you're asking as far as like, you know, but I do, you have to believe that, you know, the community is the one that's supporting you and wherever you can give back, you know, and obviously part of it is self-serving, you know, you get your name out there in the community, but, you know, you're supporting, you know, the schools, you know, I have kids in school and, you know, there's fundraiser nights all the time. And, you know, and obviously you want to support the businesses that are giving back to the community. So next time you go out, you know, you make that choice, you know, you have that awareness. So I do think it helps your business. I do firmly believe that, but haven't done the case study. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. There's a lot of data that shows, I believe it's 70% of consumers want to buy from brands that support their community. 60%, their number one priority in choosing a brand is, is a brand that they trust. Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, and obviously, again, it's a little self serving in the fact that, you know, there's a reason, you know, McDonald's sponsors the Olympics and, you know, they want their name out there and that awareness. And you just kind of take that to the smaller level of, uh, you know, a small business, you know, trying to give, you know, back to the immediate community and hopefully people will, you know, pay that forward to you. So you have this two different incredible fundraising platforms and a charity platform and a fundraising platform, and you've made such incredible impacts on the communities that you serve. I'm curious, how do you amplify that impact? Meaning, are you taking what you're doing and using that in your more broader marketing message? Uh, at all? No, not at this time. I mean, you know, we haven't. I think it's more about what we talked about already. I think just doing it, you know, those we're not necessarily doing, we're doing it because it's the right thing to do. 
And we're in that community. Our employees are in that community. They may have kids that or family members that are in those hospitals that we're trying to support the front line. And it's more about we're fortunate enough to be in a position still open and operating after this pandemic, or even as we're still kind of getting hopefully to the end of it. And we're still standing and we're fortunate and we want to share that where we can. And to be honest, like I just, whenever we're talking about stuff like this, I think of our Palo Alto store and and there's the hospitals right next door and these nurses and doctors come over all the time and and eat with us. It's almost like a loyalty program where we're giving back to them, but they've been giving to us for years. So it feels good to be able to say, hey, thank you. Totally agree. Thank you for doing that. What kind of impact did COVID have on on the business? It was tough at first. You know, I mean, you know, I'm I'm sure you've heard a thousand stories and I look back now and feel like we're fortunate, but, you know, we had to close two of our story. You know, we started with 10 and now we have two or we lost two, excuse me. We have eight, you know, we had to temporarily lay off some corporate staff. Uh, We were fortunate enough to get them back pretty quickly, but you know, that's a stressful time, you know, for them, for the two stores that we had to close, you know, those employees, we took advantage of the, you know, the, you know, a lot of the government support and we were able to rehire the corporate people and flash forward. Now we're going to open a store next year. um, Nice. And to replace, you know, one of the two that closed. So, so, you know, we're, we're taking, you know, we're using the system and, you know, hopefully it'll get us back to where we started. And, you know, we've, we've been able to employ, we maintained over a hundred employees, you know, through the worst of it. And we're back up to about 130 employees now. So, um, you know, again, you know, we feel fortunate. Um, we did have to close two stores and we had some, you know, some tough, you know, some stressful moments there at the beginning. And there's just a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, us being fast casual, we were set up for um, takeout and third-party delivery. And you know, that certainly helped us, you know, through the toughest days. And to that point, were there any positive impacts of, of COVID on product development or the digital experience? Yeah, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, we quickly made it easy for people to order, you know, online and through technology. And we already had kind of the infrastructure there, but we were able to add a couple of layers to make it even easier. And, you know, a lot of our partners like Spot On, our POS provider stepped up and, and you know, really sped up the development of our app so that people could use that and, you know, those sorts of things. And then, you know, just that, yeah, you get efficiencies all of a sudden, you know, you're running a lot less labor and then you do get an unexpected rush and you figure, uh, you figure it out. And, you know, the guests that were very understanding throughout, you know, the pre-order online pickup stuff really became to the forefront during that time. You mentioned core values before and how giving back is, is core to Asian boxes, core values, which, which is incredible. With 130 employees across eight different locations and not including corporate location and, and a distributed team, how do you instill Asian boxes core values across you know, so many people and so many locations? Well, I look at our company through this and you know, we didn't lose a single manager through the pandemic, even the managers, the two managers of the stores we closed, even though they were laid off for a while, you know, they're back. You know, we were able to rehire them in in other roles and keep them. And and, you know, I think just the communication, the, you know, sense of ownership that we give our managers, you know, steps down to our employees. And, you know, that goes a long way. You know, they're I'd like to think they feel very appreciated. 
I mean, we do appreciate them and we do, you know, we do everything that we can, certainly from like a just the simple stuff as wage and, and those sorts of things. You know, we're certainly very competitive, but I think it's more just the environment of coming to work and having fun and, you know, feeling safe and uh, feeling appreciated and also, you know, having a sense of ownership, being able to ask for time off or what, you know, all those little things that add up to a, a great work environment. I think we've always instilled that at Asian Box. And I think it kind of really came to the forefront, you know, during the the pandemic. We had to really communicate with everybody of, hey, this is what's going on. Don't be, you know, and being honest, you know, with the stores that were closing and then the stores that weren't ensuring the employees understood that we weren't going anywhere. We we're going to weather the storm and they had a place to work. Yeah. That's amazing. So I want to ask you about a topic that's potentially sensitive, but I found it really interesting. One of my friends owns a Chinese food franchise, and he had mentioned to me that through the pandemic, I mean, as we all know, COVID came from China, which is part of Asia. And he mentioned to me that there was a lot of xenophobia and there was more graffiti and on their store and, and you know hurtful messages and sales picked up slower for them versus other restaurants in the area because of xenophobia. I'm curious if, if which is absolutely terrible. And I, I was mind blown when, when I heard that that was the case. I'm curious if, if you uh, experienced any of that at, at Asian Box. You know, we didn't. Um, you know, fortunately, we talked about it. We thought there might be, you know, some of that. We saw some news reports of Asian businesses being targeted and, and, you know, just that perception. And, you know, I think it was a short period of time at the beginning of the pandemic that that really, um, you know, people just unfortunately maybe just uneducated or, or just, you know, didn't have the information and, and, you know, made bad decisions. But, you know, fortunately, you know, our locations, I think where we're at, you know, and the way our team, you know, communicates and, and is able to to let people know, you know, what, what we're all about. We, we fortunately didn't see any of that and certainly nothing like physical to the buildings or anything like that or, or anything negative towards our staff that I'm aware of. That yeah. makes me happy yeah. to hear and, yes. and super pumped that y'all are, are opening up another location uh, yeah. next year. So Chuck, You've been in the restaurant business since high school. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. How did you get into the business originally? You know, they opened a restaurant in my, where I grew up down in San Diego, out in the East County called Po Folks, which was at the time, it was a pretty popular restaurant. I think in the South, they had a small franchise group in San Diego and it was all fried food. I mean, could, couldn't mm. be less healthy, you know, walk in and there's like <laughs> nine fryers lined up. And I remember the first six months of my career, I just dropped chicken into a big fryer over and over again, the whole shift. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I started there and it just, you know, I enjoyed it. I had, you know, early success, you know, right out of high school, they promoted me to kitchen manager and away I went. And I just, you know, love the business, you know, it just changes every day. You're interacting with both the guests and your employees. It's fun and it's exciting. And, you know, it's, it's something that people are always going to need to do eat. <laughs> so it just seemed like something that it was fun and uh, never boring. So let's assume, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that the quality of the food is number one most important at a restaurant well, in order to drive traffic. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, obviously, you know, that's always the discussion is, you know, the 
the employees have to be there to make that food perfect, but right. yes, you know, so it's that balance of, but yes, absolutely. You know, that's our mantra that our, you know, we hang our hat on, on great food quality and when it's made right, it's nobody can beat it. And that's what we strive to do every box. What comes next after quality of food? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's obviously, you know, when you're sitting there looking at, you know, how we're going to be successful, we have to have great employees and we have to have happy employees that want to do a good job and take pride in that food being perfect. And then obviously service comes right, you know, right neck and neck with that as far as, you know, we're fast casual. So it's not like you're sitting in there for 45 minutes, getting a full service experience where you're connecting with the server. I mean, I've been, you know, in that part of the business for a long time too. And it, it is different. You know, you, you get a short period of time when you're coming in and it could still make a big difference on someone's day. You know, that cashier's in a good place. And whether it's, you know, walking the guests through the menu, whether it's just smiling and, you know, being nice. So that experience, whether it's a 45 minute full service or a 45 second transaction at the register can still be just as impactful and memorable. We have a lot of guests, regulars that come in and they'll yelp or, or comment to us about, hey, you know, I see Chris every time I'm in there and he's great. And we love that because people will come back for a good experience, even if something else is not perfect. But yes, the food's going to drive, especially in a fast casual, food quality is going to drive those people back. And, you know, we're fortunate we have great food and it holds really well. Um, and so it's a good product. You've spent time with, with as you mentioned, well, now quick service, but also sit down, fast casual, indoor, or, you know, all different types of dining settings. How much of the skill set of leading different types of companies is transferable? And and what are some of the biggest differences and based on the dining setting? Oh, I think it's, it's all the same as far as leading the, the people. I mean, it's you know, you're working with people and whether, I mean, I think it's even transferable to other industries, certainly, because it's about, you know, how you treat people, how you talk to people, how you train people, how you hold them accountable, respect them and empower them. And, you know, that for me personally, you know, that empowerment, you know, I joke that I'm hands off in the fact that, you know, I just, you know, I trust the managers and I want them to make decisions and not just the managers. You know, I want our cashiers. If someone comes in and says, Hey, I was in last week and then I got peanut sauce instead of sriracha. I want them to be able to say, Oh, well, let me buy you a new box. You know, let me get your box today because, you know, I want them to have that sense of ownership. I don't want you know, that guest to wait for the cashier to either say, oh, sorry, and do nothing or go try to find a manager who might be busy. And, you know, then it just becomes, you know, a worse experience for that guest. I want everybody on our team to be empowered to do the right thing, use common sense and take care of, you know, the customer and give them the best experience. And if something's not right, which happens from time to time, you know, just simply make it right. You know, it's, it's not, you know, and, but, you know, when you set up systems where it's checks, you know, it's, it's, well, I got to check with them. I got to check with them. You know, I don't think it's as impactful on the end experience for the guests. So, but yeah, as far as, you know, managing 20 servers versus, you know, just cashiers and cooks and in a cash, in a fast casual, you know, I think it's the same, you know, it's, it's just taking care of people and being respectful. Well, that is a huge testament to your incredible leadership that there is no manager turnover over the course of the last 18 months. So uh, that's congratulations. And I need to, to learn more from you about leadership. It's about the team. You know, we, we have good people that, that work their way up. What's next for Asian Box? 
you know, growth, you know, we're looking, we're looking to grow. I think we're going to grow in Northern California where we started initially and then for the next year or so. And yeah, we're hoping to open two to four stores in the next two years and, you know, and then continue from there. And then after that, maybe look at another market, maybe look to franchise. We're in a good position right now coming out of this catering, you know, is the biggest still negative, you know, kind of holdover from, from the pandemic is, you know, these offices still are not full and, and even the ones that have people coming back, they're not catering as much. So I think, you know, at the end of next year, that'll, that piece of the business will come back and then we'll really be back to, you know, pre-COVID growth and, and numbers. What's typically the impetus for franchising versus opening up more corporate owned locations? You know, that's a good question. I mean, there's probably a lot of opinions on that. I, I would say that, you know, clearly when, if you can franchise, you, you know, you can grow faster theoretically with less or no capital because the franchisees putting that, that money up. So certainly it's less risk for the company. The risk goes on the franchisee, but in turn, you have to have a great brand and, you know, good system. So it's something that we're, we've been prepared to do for a while, you know, prior to COVID and we, we put it on hold on purpose while, while we kind of weathered the storm. So again, you know, we want to get back up to, to where we were prior to COVID as far as store numbers, and then we'll probably revisit that. But certainly you, you have the potential to grow a lot faster. And again, because, you know, you're sharing the, the capital is not coming directly from the company. Over or under five years until we'll have some Asian boxes in uh, Philly. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Probably over, unfortunately. I'd like to say under, but I I think once we get out of California, you know, we did a market a year. I mean, if we franchise, it could be under. But if we do the corporate route, probably over because it's not on my list yet. How many Asian boxes do you want there to be in five years? I, I want to double in size if we just do corporate you know, so go from, um, well, I want to get back up. I want to get to 20. I want to be double where we were prior to COVID. So it's well more. So, well, I believe in you and I need to get out to Cali and, and yeah. try. Absolutely. Yeah. I, it holds well. I could probably overnight you a box, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll have to figure that out. Please. Uh, have you looked into getting on gold, gold belly? belly? Yeah, I have. I have. We've looked at that. So we'll see. I mean, uh, our, ingredients are so fresh, you know, like some of them we're doing shift to shift, you know, like our rolls and our, our herbs. And it just makes me nervous if someone, you know, the next day or two days, but we have talked about it, you know, there's technology to help that process out. So maybe some of our sauces will get out around the country before, you know, some of our, the rest of our food does. So maybe you can get some of our sauces on your homemade stuff at some point. We'll see. And your name is also already perfect for some sort of subscription box. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure being focused has been the key to your success. So I don't want to throw any other crazy. Well, you know, we always have to have that, that list of things we want to get to. So we're, you know, we have our immediate focus and our long-term plan. So nothing's out of the question. All right, Chuck, the last phase of this episode is the lightning round where I've got four questions for you and we've got two minutes to answer all four. So first thing that comes to mind, are you ready? I'll give it my best. All right. First question. What's your favorite youth sports memory? My favorite, it's a bad memory, but it's, it's also a good is I was a terrible baseball player. I was, you know, right field for two innings, you know, because they had to play you a minimum of two innings and never hit it out of the infield. And 
one time I got a thought I got a hit was running to first base and I got called out. I swore it was a tie base goes to the runner. My dad was the umpire and he called me out. Wow. So, I give him a hard, hard time about that to this day, <laughs> but I coach my son now. And fortunately he's a much better athlete than me. So it's a lot more fun. That's so funny. What did you want to be when you were growing up? A baker, actually. My grandma was a big baker and uh, you know, so I always kind of had food there. I'm not a very good cook, truth be told, as my wife would attest to. But early on, I started as a cook in the business and I loved it. And yeah, baking was something I, I wanted, I was interested in. And, you know, of course, you know, early on, I wanted to be a lawyer, this and that. But when, you know, as it got closer to reality, it was the food business. I love it. What is a brand whose marketing you admire most? That's a good question. I mean, you know, there's a lot of big ones out there that do a good job, you know, Nike and stuff, but food wise, you know, Chipotle does a good job. I mean, they really do. And, you know, some of the stuff they've done and how they roll out new items, you know, we pay attention to that. And, you know, I don't quite have their budget, but, you know, someday we'll, we'll be able to do some of the stuff they're doing. Well, what's also impressive about Chipotle is oftentimes they don't roll out new ingredients, but it's still new menu items. That, right. Uh, and yeah, we do that too. And, you know, yeah. that's art and, you know, that's good practice. And last question, what is your go-to cause to support? Well, with Asian Box, you know, we've done a lot with Lucille Packard Children's Hospital at, you know, at Stanford. So I think that'll continue from where we're at. And, you know, we, we participated in some events with them and I think that'll continue. Awesome. Chuck, really enjoyed having you on the show. You were insightful, inspirational, and wishing you all the best in what's to come with Asian Box. Right. Well, appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to our episode with Chuck Emerson. As a recap, we discussed more about Asian Box and its plans, importance of making an impact on the communities that you serve, and more about leadership, specifically Chuck's incredible leadership style. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Evan Brandoff. See you next time. Play on, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating at leagueside.com slash podcast. For more educational and inspiring content, you can follow Leagueside on LinkedIn and Instagram at leagueside underscore. See you next time.